The following podcast is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Don't blink now. 2024 is already through its first month. And Benfica still alive on three fronts. Yes, the League Cup went by the wayside, unfortunately. I've got some thoughts on that. I'm sure you do too. And I'll cover some of that in this episode. Plus, I've got about two months worth of matches to talk about. I'm obviously not going to get to all of that. But I will recap as best I can uh, where I've been for the last two months. And uh, what's been going on with the club. All that coming your way on this first episode of 2024. The first Mr. Benfica of the Year, and it starts right now. Vamos! Why did you choose Benfica, Victor Roger? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really great club, one of the best clubs in the world, and um, so I think I love football, and if you love football, you love Benfica. Oh, so Mr. Benfica is saying that uh, he's supposed to be working, but instead uh, he's uh, watching uh, Benfica. Nation, welcome back. Welcome to a long-awaited new episode of Mr. Benfica. It's episode 179, and I am your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinu, and I know it has been almost two months to the day since I last uh, was on this podcast feed talking to you about my favorite club, your favorite club, of course, Sport Lisboa Benfica, and a lot has gone down since then. Um... So this is this is going to be as quick of a recap as I can go through to catch everybody up to speed. I know you all know the results and I know you if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have watched all of these matches or most of these matches. Uh so I don't have to rehash too much for you, but um just hope everyone is well. Hope everyone had a great holiday and a great new year. All right. I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, whatever you celebrated. I hope it was fantastic for you. And um, I'm back now and I'm ready to get the second half of the season started. Ready to go full speed ahead once again as uh, we sit here right now. And we are 15, 1-5, 15 rounds believe it or not, from the end of the Liga Portugal 2023-2024 season. Benfica sit one point back of Sporting right now. 
And considering everything that has happened this season, everything we have dealt with, and um, I'm sure I'm going to forget things because a lot has happened in these two months uh, since I last recorded. So it's been a while. As listeners know, the, the holiday season for me becomes very, very tricky in terms of podcasting. And uh, this year was no was no different. Um, it was the usual, you know, twenty hour work days, uh, eighteen to twenty hour work days, six days a week uh, for that month for that push. And uh, afterwards, uh, I'll be honest, I was quite tired, and uh, I gave myself a little bit of a vacation there. Um, I, I, you know, I took two weeks off of work, but I also uh, took some time away from football by and large uh, aside from watching Benfica of course um, and I try to try to recoup try to uh, regenerate myself a little bit and get ready for the second half of the season so here I am now if you haven't yet though if you have not yet do go back and listen to episode 178 I published it back on Thanksgiving Day well it was Thanksgiving here in the United States of course way back on I think it was November the 25th and I spoke to the YouTuber Raymundo and uh, had a great conversation with him about about his ground hopping uh, YouTube channel. And he's since followed a podcast. I'm sorry, he's since started a podcast. And I was fortunate enough to be a guest on his podcast afterwards. Got to talk to him for a little bit there on his podcast as well. And those of you that have been following Tuga Tuesdays on on Tuesday nights, as you should. On YouTube, on uh, Nino Torres's YouTube channel, that's uh, the Gold TV commentator, as you know, my friend Nino. Every Tuesday, he does Tuga Tuesdays, and I post a link in all of my social media. Uh, I, you've seen me on there as well. I have checked in um, there as well as you know, going on on Ray's podcast, and um, I've been working behind the scenes on some YouTube stuff too, as well for my channel. So uh, I have been dabbling back in, but now. Now I am ready to go, and uh, it is Tuesday night, January the 30th here on a snowy, uh, snowy east coast here of the United States, upper east coast, northeast coast of the United States. Uh, very cold snow and ice have uh, been the recipe for the past couple couple of weeks, really, and um, well, it uh, it doesn't stop us from having a good time that's for sure so uh, that's where I've been also I have to give some quick shout outs before I get into the matter at hand today a uh, quick shout out to uh, everybody that was down at the Casa do Benfica New Bedford Massachusetts here in the United States the historic whaling city of New Bedford the one of the historic Portuguese communities uh, and historic Cape Verdean communities as well, the city of New Bedford. Their Casa do Benfica celebrated their 33rd anniversary this past weekend, and I was fortunate enough to be there. Thank you to my friend Rui for the invite. Um, you may or may not know Rui from, from Tuga Tuesdays, uh, but he was the one that hooked me up with the invite and was able to uh, get me down there, and it was a blast. I have to tell you, it was one of the best times ever. Um, just fantastic being around so many Benfiquistas. And not just Benfiquistas, let, let's be clear. There's uh, other members of the Portuguese community that support the Casa do Benfica, even if they are not Benfica fans. And it's important to note that because it is a cultural, the Casa do Benfica is a cultural institution for us Portuguese Americans, at least here, you know, in the Northeast, to, to, to the couple that I've been to. 
back on my YouTube channel, you saw my visit to the Newark Casa. And while the New Bedford Casa was closed on Saturday, unfortunately, for the for the celebration, because the celebration was held uh, was held downtown in New Bedford at the United Fishermen's Club, I had a great opportunity to get to speak to the president of the Casa for a little while. Um, it was great to talk to him, and also the best, maybe the highlight was meeting two legends of our club, meeting Isaias and meeting Eliseu. And uh, my friends had even more fun with Eliseu as uh, they they went out after <laughs> after the night. I had to make the hour and a half drive back home uh, at one o'clock in the morning. They went out for some more fun with Eliseu and with Isaias. True story. I'm not making that up. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting more details on it from them. But yeah, it was it was one heck of a night. And uh, again, congratulations to the Casa do Benfica in New Bedford. And again, thank you to Rui for the hookup on that party. All right. And moving on now that I've got the, the shout-outs out of the way, uh, I'm sure I'm going to forget a lot of things, but let's quickly run down the results <laughs> in these past two months that I have been dark. This won't take more than a minute, but just to add context, anyone who maybe you're living somewhere where you don't have access to the Portuguese League and um, maybe you're just listening you know, out of habit or out of in general interest of what goes on. On our last episode that we recapped a match, I talked about the derby, the come from behind, the incredible come from behind 2-1 win over Sporting at the Luge. Uh, after that, that was back on November 12th. So since then, there was the November 25th match. Okay, and I think that may or may not have been, I think it was on Thanksgiving Eve here in the United States. I think that was a Wednesday night. It might have been a Thursday, not sure. But it was uh, it was Benfica hosting Famalicão in what was the round of 32 of the Portuguese Cup. Benfica 2-1 winners on that night. An own goal from Riccelli and a goal from Rafa. Uh, five minutes apart were the difference as Benfica secured uh, passage to the round of 16 in the Portuguese Cup that night. After that, Benfica traveled, oh no, I'm, I'm sorry, hosted Inter in the UEFA Champions League, remembering Benfica needing a victory to stay alive. And, uh, well, it didn't, it started off great. That was the match with the epic first half hat trick from one Juan Mario. That's right, <laughs> hard to go that far back. Two assists from Casper. Tankstead, remember him? Uh, Benfica went into halftime up 3-0, but sadly it wasn't enough as things just started to implode. The one thing you can't have in a match like that when you get that kind of a lead is you cannot let a team like Inter back into the match too soon and right out of halftime, six minutes into the second half. Marco Arnatovic scored for the Nerazzurri, uh, making it 3-1, and seven minutes later, Davide Fratesi, Made it 3-2, to two, and from there you could see the implosion coming. You could see the fans losing their patience. You could see the players panicking. And this was all part of a very uh, turbulent time for Benfica. And uh, it was, I mean, we're going to get to some of this very, short, very shortly. And I don't want to make this episode too long because, well, you know, it's, it's a lot of material to cover, and a lot of this has been... Discussed on every other podcast, but I'll just give my quick thoughts on this. Uh, the fan base really became toxic here at this stage. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. Uh, fans in Portugal, Benfica. I'm I'm dealing with Benfica, but I, I'm learning that this is 
or maybe I always knew, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, it's being confirmed to me that other fan bases are similar, just increasingly toxic when uh, they feel like, uh, well, they fans feel like they have more of a say. This isn't going to sit well, but fans feel like they have more of a say in the day-to-day, you know, lineups and things like that of the team than they really do. They turn on everybody. They turn on anybody, and uh, that part is very frustrating. And I don't want to dwell on this too much, but uh, the heat on Roger Schmidt was through the roof at this point. Um, and, of course, I'm going to be honest, a, a lame penalty, if I remember correctly, was awarded in the 72nd minute. Um, and, again, Benfica not able to get a single penalty uh, in this group stage you know, throughout throughout this group stage, unable to really um, capitalize. And I think it could have been a much different group stage if the referees just made the right call. And I'm not blaming the referees because we didn't play well, but the fact of the matter is what was a pe- what was considered a penalty against us versus what would have been considered a penalty for us was not compatible. They were not the same. It was a duality of criteria. And that's frustrating, but it is what it is. It's not just us. This is this was consistent with uh, with Braga, with Porto, and with Sporting. I'm gonna be honest. It was consistent with all four Portuguese teams in this uh, in the group stages of these two these two competitions. And uh, well, Alexis Sanchez steps up, and Alexis Sanchez buries the penalty, making it three three. And despite fan, you know, despite fans, uh, just anger and uh you know disdain for this result Befica did well enough to hold on to a crucial point in this match now in the 84th minute Antonio Silva with a boneheaded tackle is sent off okay originally given a yellow card and then after the VAR is consulted and after the referee went to the monitor the yellow card was rescinded and the red card was shown to Antonio Silva and I'll say I'll save it for a little while from now, but I do have a few uh, constructive criticisms for Antonio Silva at this point. Um, I know he is again. I'm going to get into this topic in a moment, but he has almost become like a sacred cow to the fan base that cannot be criticized when certain players seem to be criticized for anything and everything. Uh, there is a little bit of an imbalance there, in my opinion, in where criticism is levied. Um, I think it was this game where where uh, Antonio Silva, you know, left something to be desired uh, on these goals as well. But any anyway, moving on. He's a young defender. He's a phenomenal center back. With this, the sky is the limit for this kid. I'm not saying that it's not, but I am saying that um, it's too soon for him to move on to a bigger club with even more pressure than he's on here because he he's made mistakes this season and he made mistakes this past weekend. He made mistakes in the League Cup semifinal and it, they seem to get swept aside by everybody uh, because he is one of the favorites, because he is the Seychelles product and he's one of my favorite players, but I will have no issue uh, pointing out, you know, mistakes that get made and I've seen a few and I've said it before. A lot of times in his tackle, he leads with the wrong foot. A lot of times his defensive positioning is almost there, but it's not quite there yet. And, uh, well, I think part of it is coming through the academy. So much of an emphasis on the center backs and on all the backs is about their passing ability going forward, and I get that. Uh, But there are still some defensive fundamentals in him specifically that I'd like to see polished. 
because if he does that, he has all the potential to be just as good as the center back he lines up next to, just as seasoned as the world champion that wears the captain's armband for us. I think that's the perfect role model for him. And uh, I do believe Antonio continues to work, and he's going to continue to get better. So when I make criticisms of him, it's not because I don't value the kid. I do. Um, and I think he's going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal center back in the long run. But let's um, remember that he, not, not at all perfect yet. But anyhow, um, we, we hold on to this one for dear life, and we escape with the point which would be crucial uh, in at least hopes of staying in European football. Uh, that point would come crucial. It was the first point in this year's Champions League for Benfica. Tough, tough campaign for Benfica in this year's U, uh, UEFA Champions League. But it could be a growing year. It could be a learning process. And hopefully, you know, if everything works out and we're back in the Champions League last year, we will, next year, excuse me, uh, I'm rusty. <laughs> Got a little bit of rust on this microphone. But uh, if we're back in that Champions League next year, as we should be, I think we're going to be a better team because of the struggles of this year. I do believe that. Okay, next match, December the 3rd, we traveled up north to Moreira dos Conegos and uh, we're held scoreless, I think, for the only time this season in the league. I think it's the only time we were kept off the score sheet as Moreirense held us to a nil-nil draw. Typical nil-nil draw that you would expect. You know, plenty of opportunities, unable to, to finalize, unable to finish. And a lack of creativity, really real big lack of confidence that, that, that collapse at the midweek previously against Inter, I think really affected the team. And again, the fans don't help. I'm sorry, they don't help. They put more pressure instead of putting more support in these tough times. And uh, that that disappoints me in the fan base, in an otherwise fantastic fan base. I know I've been hard on the fans this year, especially. Um... I don't want anyone to take that as me not not also recognizing the enormous contribution our fans have made over the years and last season and, and in other matches. But I really think Bifika fans are both the best and the worst in the world at the same time. For uh, it's that same passion that makes us the best that makes us the makes us insufferable at times. And the skid continued. Uh, I continued another five days to December 8th. And this is the match I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about. Not so much the match, but the antics. Um, Benfica hosting France. Okay, France take the lead in the 51st minute on a header from Claudio Falcão. Benfica in trouble. Roger Schmidt under, again, just incredible scrutiny. He's not even, it's not even for his coaching. At this point, now we have the Portuguese media attacking Roger Schmidt for no good reason. Clear, I'm going to say this, and it could be controversial, I don't care. Clear xenophobia from the Portuguese media towards our manager, okay? Our manager who handles press conferences in a language that is not his first language either. He's meeting the media halfway in in addressing and taking questions in English, questions they have never had issues asking before, okay? I, I'm not going to, at this time, I'm not going to be like some other people, you know, criticizing the Portuguese media's lack of uh, acumen, lack of uh, ability in English. I get it. It's not easy. But again, if you're going to be in the press room of a professional football match, 
anywhere in the world, you know, with all due respect, you should have a basic level of English, okay? I don't want to hear. And, and our fans jump on this too. And this, this, I got in a lot of arguments about this, okay? I want Roger Schmidt spending his time figuring out how to fix the problems at Benfica. I want him figure, figuring out how to better manage the players, how to manage playing time, how to manage balance in the squad. I don't want him spending his time learning Portuguese, okay? It's 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 just at the, where this club is right now and where this team is right now in a crucial part of the season, the last thing I want him spending his time doing is worrying about speaking Portuguese so that this media can then twist and turn the things he says, you know, that he says in good faith that they then twist and turn into things he didn't say. Um, and again, this was, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it was either this game or one later where they started refusing to speak to him in English, yet they have no problem, absolutely no problem, speaking to Marcus Edwards in English. Marcus Edwards has been in Portugal about three times as long as Roger Schmidt. No problem. No problem speaking English to Marcus Edwards. No problem at all. But to Roger Schmidt, it's a problem because he's the manager of Benfica and because because he answers things and they don't like his answers, and uh, they take it, you know, they take things personally. It went back to when we beat Sporting, and the the journal asks, you know, if every game they have to ask Roger Schmidt if the result was better than the performance. They never ask that to Ruben Amorim. They never ask that to Sergio Conceição. They never ask that to Artur Jorge. They never ask that to Alvaro Pacheco. Okay, they don't ask that to to Vasco Seabra. They don't ask that to any other of the managers in the Portuguese league. It's only to Roger Schmidt that they they preface the question like that and with so much hostility in their questioning sometimes or arrogance really is what comes across from the media. And I don't want to generalize the media as a whole because by way of doing this podcast, I've actually managed to make some connections and I have established some good relationships with some media members in Portugal and I'm not talking about them. But they have no issue speaking English. When I spoke to Zero Zero about, about Namiyash Keita this past summer when I was uh, you know, on a call with, with the, the writer from Zero Zero, he insisted on speaking to me in English. I told him we could do it in Portuguese. He insisted on doing it in English. Very proud to show me how good his English was. And it was phenom- It was fantastic. It was phenomenal. Um, but these journalists, there's plenty of journalists that speak very good English. Okay, And uh, like João Gonçalves says on the Fever Pitch podcast, if you don't speak English, no problem. Go write about something else. Go cover a different event. Go to some, you know, go. There's plenty of other news for you to write about. If you don't speak English, you don't have to be in the press conference for Benfica matches. There's plenty of other matches where where you won't need to speak English. Um, obviously, for selfish reasons and for the for this podcast, I like the sound bits in English to play every week. Um, but again, the media started this, and then the fans took the bait, and the fans were all over Roger Schmidt in this one. And it came to a head in the 64th minute when instead of everyone's favorite punching bag, which, you know, everyone's favorite punching bag now is João Mario, has been for a long time, uh, is, is, you know, because he was not the one subbed off and we talked about sacred cows 
And the same fans who say there are no sacred cows in this team and that Auschwitz and Dromadiu are the, the coach's favorites and that they're sacred. The moment he subs off Zhronevj in a match where Zhronevj was not good, let's be honest. And I love Zhronevj. And here we sit on the eve of the close of the transfer window. I am ecstatic that he is still a Benfica player. Okay, I'm, I'm ecstatic that the offers stayed away. No serious ones ever came in. So this is not a knock on Dronevs. Everybody has down matches. Dronevs was not a, achieving what he needed to or what he wanted to. And I think he himself would have admitted that in this moment. But when Gonçalo Gedge came on and Dronevs came off and Dromadio went to the center, somebody ends up throwing... Was it a water bottle? I don't even remember anymore what was thrown at Roger Schmidt from our own fans. And I'm sorry, but whoever did that should be banned for life from the Stadio de Luz. Should be banned for life from any football stadium. This is not normal behavior. This is not civilized culture. This is not passion. This is stupidity. This is ignorance. This is arrogance. This is, as my avul would say, as my grandfather would say, it's Sid Maleducado, okay, uneducated, meaning it in the contents of, you know, not raised right, not, we're not talking about a book education in, a, in an institution, in a school, we're talking about being raised a certain way and thinking it's okay to throw things at another person uh, because you don't like a decision. And you know what? The, the switch was the right switch, okay? It was the right switch. João Mario went into the, the center of the pitch. We got... What we were looking for out of him. We got the the balance we needed. And as a result, everyone wanted... That's right. Everyone wanted Rafa coming off. I remember now. It was the fact that Rafa stayed on the pitch as well. Everyone wanted Rafa and Dromario coming off. I remember the Twitter arguments now that I had with everybody. Everybody wanted those two coming off the field. Rafa stayed on. Everyone loves to beat up on Rafa as well. But Rafa ties this match. Crucial point, assisted by Auschwitz in the 71st minute. And some fans even took to the internet and had the nerve to say that it was the fan who threw that water bottle at Roger Schmidt that lit a fire under the team, and that's why they came back. If you believe that, you are an idiot. You are a Neanderthal idiot, and we don't need you at this club, if that's what you think. All right, I'm going to cool it down now a little bit there's never an excuse to throw things at especially at anybody but especially at your own players or your own team but this was a point where Benfica were really struggling 1-1 draw at that moment with uh with Ferenc uh the same Ferenc that looked absolutely uh incompetent at the weekend against against Porto but that's a whole different story and then the turning point for me in the season came Four days later, December 12th. This for me was a huge moment. I know I was looking at this Champions League game and I wasn't even the least bit concerned about advancing to Europa League. I have it, it's great that we, we advanced, but there it brings a whole different set of complications with it. And I'm here for those complications. But if we didn't have that, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be overly, you know, con, you know, I wouldn't be overly disappointed. Um, if we just focused on the league at this point, the way the things were going. But we went into Salzburg. We went into Austria. And uh, we played a pretty good match, okay? And Di Maria got, got us on the score sheet early in the 32nd minute. 
And then just before halftime, Rafa. There he is again. Everybody wants him out of the club. Everyone says his cycle is over. Yes, he misses seven out of eight chances or, you know, but he still creates so many chances and he's the only one getting on those chances most of the time. And again, he finds the goal. I couldn't have been happier about Rafa scoring. You know, I'd been defending him tooth and nail um, on the Internet in conversations. And uh, he, he did me right here by by turning it around and getting a goal. Same thing with Di Maria. He was also getting a lot of, of just unwarranted criticism, not about his play, but about his character, saying that he's on vacation, that he came here to retire, that he's not working, that he's not doing this, he's not doing that. Both Rafa and Di Maria are only the two most productive players on this roster. And the two of them have delivered I don't know how many points single-handedly at this point in the season. The reason we're only one point behind Sporting right now is thanks to those two players. Okay, There's no way about it. You may not like what you see when you watch the match on your television or when you're sitting in your seat at the stadium, standing, whatever. You may not like how it's happening. You may not like what you see. But at the end of the day, the goals and the assists are coming from these, largely from these two guys. Especially at this point here in December. Now, we move forward and uh, Leipzig, not Leipzig, excuse me, Salzburg. I think I made this mistake all season. <laughs> Salzburg, take uh, they cut the lead to 2-1 to one in the 57 minute thanks to Luka Sukic. And uh, things get a little bit crazy. Now, remember, Benfica needed to win by two goals to, advance, to take third place uh, because, if I remember correctly... And uh, let's see here. If I remember correctly, yes, Benfica and Salzburg were both on four points at this at this point, with Benfica in the lead. However, uh, Salzburg was ahead on head to head. Okay, so the match Benfica needed to win three to one precisely to to win the head to head matchup. Uh, if they had won two nil, they would have lost, I believe, on the goal difference. Um, Double check that for you. Yeah, they were they finished tied on goal difference and Befica advanced because they had three away goals versus versus uh, Salzburg's two, and the you know the aggregate over the two the two group stage matches the head to head finished three three on aggregate, and uh, so it was tied there tied all all around. But Befica's winning the head to head with the away goals. Um, it's like the fifth or sixth tiebreakers, just like last season, except this time it was for third place. But Benfica get it thanks to heroics, very, very late. And it it inspired me to give the nickname that has seemingly stuck, at least in the English language media. I, I said it, I tweeted it, and I referred to this player as this so that Nino can say it on the air here on Gold TV here in the United States and to anywhere else in the English-speaking world where they pick up that feed. I, I called him King Arthur, and it was King Arthur scoring Dlitra um, and putting it in. And in the 90th plus two, Benfica get that third goal that they needed. Benfica advance to the Europa League play-in round now, or play-off round, they're calling it, Um for a spot in the round of 16. And Benfica would draw uh, Toulouse of France. And they're going to be playing in about a week and a half or so. So uh, that match is going to come up pretty pretty soon now. 
So Benfica, um, stay alive in Europe at the very least. And now, of course, Benfica fans, in the space of about five minutes, go from this team's not going to win anything this year. This is this this this, this season is lost. Rogers got to go. To after King Arthur Cabral's goal here in stoppage time, quickly the mood was we're going to win the Europa League, and this is the dichotomy of what it is to be a Benfica fan, and um, it's exhausting. I'll be honest, it's exhausting dealing with this. It's exhausting. Um, if, if there's real uh, struggles in keeping attainable ad- objectives. I'm not saying they can't go on and win the Europa League. I'm saying we're getting way ahead of ourselves even thinking that far ahead in the in the calendar. But Benfica manage it. And it would, couldn't have come at a more important time because five days later, Benfica travel north, travel to Braga, to the... Uh, to the Pedreira, to the Rock Quarry. And in a very, very tough match. In a match where we saw the true value of Anatoly Trubin. He was lights out in this match. We got a good performance also. A man of the match performance for Orkan Kokchu in this match. And a goal from Kasper Tengstedt. Remember him. Kasper Tengstedt's third minute goal was the only difference between the two sides in this one. And Benfica win 1-0 on the road at the quarry, beating Braga, a huge, huge victory, and keep pace with Sporting. Uh, And Benfica, for the first time since I can remember, and I'm going to include Braga in this, take on the three, there are three direct uh, rivals for the title, Porto, Sporting, and Braga, and win all three matches in this first uh, first half of the season. I don't ever remember that happening before. And that is also a major reason why we're still in this race. Um, although we'd still be in the race. I shouldn't say still in this race, but it's why we're as close as we are to the lead. And uh, Tankstead with a winner against... He's got three winning goals this season. He's got a winner here against Braga. He picked up the winner in stoppage time against Sporting. And he's got the winner earlier in the season against Estrela Amadora at the Luge. Uh, he doesn't score often, but when he does score, they are valuable. Kasper Tankstead, Benfica won and nil winners that night. And then moving on, League Cup action on December the 21st, uh, making quick, easy work of AVS uh, Football Sad. 4-1 victory for Benfica in that one. And then a league match at home against Fumalicão. A 3-0 win over Fumalicão. Arthur Cabral scores again. Rafa and the now-departed Petar Musa. Then Benfica travel to Oroca. And normally a tough match. Benfica take care of business at Oroca. And Benfica win 3-0 once again. Once again, it's Rafa. Once again, it's it's Musa. And Kokshu also getting on the score sheet and putting in another man-of-the-match performance. The same Kokshu that three-quarters of the fan base is calling a flop. And, um, yeah, I guess, you know. Luckily, the players don't listen to any of us. Because if they did, uh, they you know this would affect their, their performances on the pitch, I'm pretty sure. Unfortunately, you know, people want to hammer Roger Schmidt for saying the team played well. 
Is it that hard to understand, okay, what he's doing? Is it that hard to realize that the manager is protecting his players from this, dare I say, from this imbecilic element of our fan base? It's not the entire fan base, but it's a wing of the fan base. It's a, it's a portion of the fan base. And it hasn't crossed anyone's mind that the manager's realized that he may need to protect his players from this kind of criticism and deflect it towards himself. I believe that's exactly what he's doing when he tells you that the team plays well. Any coach can find matches, can find uh, instances in any match that they liked and and keep the focus on that. Um, this is an experienced manager with over 20 years of experience. You know... The internet Guardiolas have zero experience. They they think they have every answer for every problem. They're not in training, but they think they know what formation the team should play. Uh, you know, thinking that it hasn't been tried, something as simple as going to a four three three. You don't think that this has been attempted, that it has been tried in training, and maybe there's something about it that doesn't work. Now the the fan base thinks they know everything. And uh, it, it is it is exhausting to deal with. I'm going to be honest with you, and I hope I'm not uh, pissing too many people off. I don't want to lose anybody. If you're still listening after a, a two month hiatus, I, I welcome you here. If you disagree with me, it's cool. Please don't take anything personal. I don't take the insults that come my way personal. So, but again, just the the overall attitude is exhausting. If we go again, win on January the 10th. We're getting close to the present now. This was the Portuguese Cup round of 16 versus Braga. Tough, tough match. Both teams left it all on the pitch in this one. Both Benfica and Braga left it out there. Benfica uh, squeaked through 3-2 to two and advanced to the quarterfinals of the Portuguese Cup. Guess who scored? I said his name again. Rafa, Arthur Cabral, and... Alshness. Okay, so King Arthur scoring. Rafa keeps scoring. Rafa either scores or assists in virtually every game. Yeah, we have people who think he needs to sit for Tiago Vea. Come on now. Come on now. Be real. Be real. When Rafa is on this kind of form, you ride it. You do not, uh, you know, you do not. <laughs> you don't take off the guy who is creating in getting on the end of all the chances. Even if he misses 9 out of 10, there's no guarantee that the guy you put there is going to get any of those chances. Substitutions ha can have negative consequences too, and the fan base looks at the match and thinks that substitutions only have positive consequences. And that's just not the case. That's just not the case. Sometimes a substitution can completely derail a team's chemistry. And the manager knows his team better than we do. That, at the end of the day, is the story. We wanted a manager with a different perspective, a manager with a different way of doing things. We went and we got him, and now people can't handle that they don't understand what he's doing. It's very simple what he's doing. They call, you know, everyone wants to call him, they use the Portuguese word, teimoso, you know, stubborn. But the fans are equally as stubborn. They want to see certain things, and... We, we needed a project manager, and we got a project manager. And one thing about project managers is they stick to what they believe in, and they believe that in the end they will be the team left on top when Befica is this much more talented. I, I agree that I think that we are, we are still going to be, when the dust settles, I know Sporting's playing lights out right now. 
But I really like where we are. I like being one point behind versus being one point ahead at this stage. Uh, I like building the pressure on them. Sure, they just scored eight. I know they just scored eight. But it's, it's you know, moments like that where slip-ups can happen. It's false sense of confidence in, in a match where everything went perfect for them. I don't mind being a point behind week after week after week, you know, increasing that pressure on them. I think it's easier to chase than to be chased. It, uh, I Anyone who's ever run in athletics, you know, uh, when you watch one of the distance races, okay, you see the runners, nobody really wants to go out and lead the race from the first, you know, from the gun to the to the tape. Um, a lot of times it's easier to sit, to tuck in behind the leader and run his pace and conserve your energy because, you know, the runner in front of you is getting all the wind resistance and wearing himself out so at the end you can sprint by him. That's an analogy here. It's the same thing. It's it's not it's not aerodynamic um, advantage that it is in running, but psychologically, I think being one point behind and just continuing to stay on their heels is going to be good for us in the end. And I think I do believe that when the dust settles and the smoke clears at the end of the season, Benfica will be the champion. Um, but if if Sporting, you know. Our champions, they'll be deserving. But I do think it's it's a more comfortable spot to be in where we are than where they are. Think about it. They are playing the best football they have played in a long time. They are winning games, I you know, scoring eight goals in a match, and they're still only a single point ahead to a team that is supposedly in a crisis. If you listen to the Portuguese media, Benfica is in a crisis. If you listen to certain segments of the fan base, Benfica is in a crisis. So much so that we're only a point behind them. I read this week, someone said, this was after the, the Tasa de Liga, the League Cup, you know, defeat on penalties, mind you. It was not a defeat. We did not lose that match. We did not advance, but we did not lose. That goes in the record book as a draw. But I remember reading someone saying that if we had Ruben Amuri with this roster, we'd be 10 points ahead of Spartan. Probably single-handedly the most idiotic thing I have read all season because Spartan have only dropped eight points. There is no way mathematically we could be 10 points ahead of a team that has only dropped eight points. But fans come up with these things and they cling to them and they, they, they share it with each other and they, they go into these echo chambers where they just complain and complain and complain and complain and they start to believe everything that they say to each other. And the fact that something's not even mathematically possible doesn't even cross their mind. Oh. But in this cup game, again, Rafa, Arthur, and Auschnitz with the goals. Auschnitz gets the winner in the 70th. Um, an own goal in the 7th minute. Uh, put Braga ahead. Benfica scored 2 to take the lead at halftime. And then Rodrigo Salazar scored an absolute cracker of a goal. I mean, he he bombed a ball off of the crossbar. I think, if I remember correctly, just after a free kick, the ball went out for a corner. They crossed it. It's cleared by Otamendi, I want to say. And at the top of the area is Salazar, and he just hammers it. It kisses the crossbar on its way in. And 
Braga pull level, but then Auschwitz decides the match in the 70th. Big win for Benfica. Moving on to the quarterfinals of the Portuguese Cup. Next up was a home match with Riwave, and much of the same, the form. I mean, Benfica in the league are doing just fine. I mean, the form is as good as it's been in a long time. And uh, goals from Di Maria once again, Tony Silva. Um, oh, and the debut of Marcos Leonardo, and a goal from Marcos Leonardo on his debut in the 80th, and then João Mario. Finishing it in the 90th plus one. This one finished 4-1. to one. However, Benfica did start a habit in this one of falling behind first. as they. It's actually the second game in a row after the Braga one that they fall behind early. But then come back. Guga scored for Riuav in the ninth minute. Then Benfica scored four unanswered. That's kind of been where we're at. I prefer to see clean sheets. I'm telling you that is something I value very, very highly. Longtime listeners know that. And uh, I don't like falling behind. But if there's any positive to it is, is that it's done very early and that the team wakes up and you know finds finds their way um moving forward and this was no different in this match and we're getting goals i mean i know again we can talk about the Istoril match in the league cup but outside of that we're getting the goals we're creating the chances we're getting the goals you win the game by getting the most goals not by playing something beautiful, not for playing nice for the cameras, not for being quote-unquote entertaining, okay? Titles are won by accumulating points, by scoring goals. And if you're scoring goals in bunches, the rest will come. The confidence that comes from that, the rest, the aesthetic quality will come. Uh, lastly, a couple more results. 2-0 win at home to Bovista. This was the start of the second half of the season. Another goal from Marcos Leonardo. And another one from Angel Di Maria. After Di Maria had had one ruled out. But then he did the second one they couldn't rule out. Another assist for Kokshu, the so-called flop. And uh, players just being productive. And then, of course... The League Cup match uh, fell behind again. So third match in four that we fell behind. Uh, Rafik Gitani, who's been since linked to the club. I don't think that deal is going to happen in the next 48 hours, but we'll see. Scored for Istriel. Otamendi scores in the 58th to pull level, and I thought we were going to cruise after that. And, uh, well... We had the chances. Again, we created the chances. It wasn't a perfect match by any means. It was not aesthetically pleasing. But we had more than enough chances to score. Um, again, everyone hammering on the coach. The coach cannot go onto the pitch and kick the ball into the goal. Okay? The players the coach is putting or the managers putting on the pitch are generating the chances. The XG is there. Okay? They had a nearly a 4 XG in this game against Istriel. Okay, which means that the coach's selections are fine. They're getting the chances. The chances are not going in. We also ran into a goalkeeper. It was one of those days where they save everything. It's one of those 1 in 10 matches where you could be there all night and it just didn't go our way. Di Maria nearly wins it in the in the closing seconds. Everyone says, "Why does Romario play the whole game? Why does Di Maria play the whole game?" Well, in a match that's a single leg knockout and there's no extra time. You cannot take out Di Maria and you cannot take out João Mario who are penalty takers. Roger managed this well. He got his penalty kickers on 
and he took the people who didn't want to take a penalty off. I don't know why people have such a hard time understanding that. Now, Tiago uh, Tomaja Araujo, excuse me, missed his. He shot sixth. He missed. As a result, we lost. I thought when Trubin had had saved it, had made his save, I thought we were going to win at that point. I thought the the moment was going to get to be too big for uh, for Istriel. Inexplicably, though, Vashk Siabra sends Tiago Araujo, our on loan player, up to take the fifth shot, and. Not because I think there's a he, he just that's not taking very good care of our player who's on loan, you know, from us, and putting him in a in a situation where had he missed that shot, he was gonna hear it from the fans of, of the rivals, and the media was gonna say he did it on purpose. Um, fortunately for him and for his development, he converted. Of course, he was the one that would miss the penalty to lose the final to Braga, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, had he missed against Benfica, who knows what that would have resulted for him in his career? Not a, not a. I'm a, I'm a fan of Vasco Siabra, believe it or not. I, I've followed his career for a long time now since he was the Pastrheira manager, who was was and is younger than me. Um, I, I'm pretty sure he's younger than me. Uh, he he's been in this, you know, he's been managing since he was in his twenties. Okay, and. Uh, by and large, I I like him as a coach, but that that was a decision that I just found absolutely uh, shocking that he would put such a young player in that kind of a situation. But nonetheless, um, listen, Befica, Marcos Leonardo misses his his penalty, and then Tomaj Tomaj Araujo misses his penalty, and the match ends. All right, it ends that way. And Befica are knocked out in the semifinals of the League Cup. Another year we don't win the League Cup. I wanted this League Cup badly. It wasn't meant to be. But uh, an interesting fact is that Roger Schmidt now in two seasons, two League Cups, is yet to lose a match in 90 minutes, but is yet to win the Cup. He's been eliminated twice now without a loss. But uh, Befica, you know, responded. Again, yesterday's match at uh, Strela Amadora. And let me say this first, okay? This is not the historic Strela Damadora. People need to realize that. The league likes to pretend that they are. This outfit, this club, and I use that in air quotes, is Sintra Football. It's Sintra Football, okay, who had nowhere to play, who had no fans. Saw this once mighty Strela Amadora, you know, trying to rebuild itself in playing in the Lisbon District Leagues, knew that they had a license for the third division and convinced the Saucius of Estrela da Madura to hand their club over to Sintra Football Sad and create the the entity we now know as, I believe it's Club Football Estrela Sad. Okay? This is not Estrela Amadora. They look like them. They wear their badge. They play in their stadium. They are not the historic Estrela de Amadora. And before I talk about the match, I do have to take a minute to talk about the controversy. And again, the only in the Tugão moments, you know, th this league never misses an opportunity to embarrass itself, to humiliate itself, to look like fools. And apparently... Uh, 
fans with valid tickets were not allowed in. Okay, fans with valid tickets were not allowed in. I've heard the excuses that it's too expensive to put seats. Listen, honestly, this is professional top-flight football. If you cannot meet the stadium requirements, why is it that we have Kazapia playing in Riumayar? In the second division, we have AVS, who's another club that is not a club. It's a sad that moved into a stadium that was empty to pretend to be a club that used to play there and to do everything they can to look like them and sound like them and fool people into thinking they are them. And you have Ferenc in the similar situation with you know a, a, a dispute between the Sad and the Saucius. You have Lankvilla Verdens, an absolute mess. Lechonge, a mess. Lechonge Stadium, you know, suspended at the moment. This is embarrassing what these club how these clubs are run. Don't give me the excuses that oh they're small. No, they're poorly run. There is no excuse for selling tickets for Seats that do not exist. For tarping off a section that does not exist. Now, their defense is that players, uh, sorry, that fans, and of course they're saying it's Benfica fans, entered the stadium without tickets and that's why it was full to capacity and these ticket holders couldn't get in. If that's true, and I have my doubts, but if that's true, that's an even bigger slider on your club that you can't even host one bit, you can't even host a Benfica game once a, a year. This is the match that allows you to meet your financial goals. This is the match that allows you to fill your stadium. Okay, this is the match where you charge 35 euros per ticket. You can't charge that to any with any other opponent, nobody's gonna pay it. And you can't even police your own stadium. You can't have ticket takers. I mean, it is the third world. You got people, to my knowledge, I think they're still using paper tickets in Portugal. My guess is you don't even know how you're going to get tickets. People have told me it's hard to get tickets. You don't even know what it's like to try to get tickets to these matches. You just hold, you just, there's instances when you go to these stadiums that you just go to the stadium and hope to find a ticket. There's no online ordering uh, for, from what I understand for Strela. There's, I mean, I'm assuming that they're obviously not scanning tickets when people go in. They're obviously not scanning, you know, they're obviously not carrying their, their tickets as a barcode on their phone like, you know, the first world does. It's still a printed out paper ticket. What is it, handwritten? I mean, I don't know how much more archaic you can be. But in the end, uh, I don't know how many, but plenty of Benfica fans left out in the cold despite having a valid ticket. For me, that offense warrants automatic relegation. Okay, that warrants automatic relegation out, not out of the first division to the second, but out of the professional ranks back to the Liga 3. That's where you belong if you cannot host a proper first division match. I don't care. Don't give me your excuses. Don't give me your excuses, Sintra Football Sad. Okay. You have all season to prepare for this for this to put the to put the protocols in place to host this match. If you cannot host it to the third division, you should go. Or if you're Boavista and you and you go months without paying your players to the third division, you should go. I don't care about on the field. 
This league cannot have clubs failing like that. And they're failing through their own their own merit, their own lack of merit. You can blame the big three all you want, that nobody supports the team from their from their hometown. That's all garbage. Okay, that's all garbage. These clubs make money, and where does it go? Where's the transparency? This Strela Amadora team that for weeks upon weeks was wearing a black stripe of paint, uh, sorry, a black stripe of tape across the front of their jersey to cover a sponsor who no longer was sponsoring them, who, you know, the, the money dried up or the checks stopped coming in, whatever the reason. This is this is a real problem, and um, at some point I will do a podcast episode just talking about this issue, these issues in the Portuguese league, and with centralized TV rights coming, and they're inevitable. It's it's again, it's Portuguese style government overreach going in, going into sport, and you know putting their authority in there for whatever reason. I understand it's commerce and it's it's about that kind of stuff. But again, further further milking the big 5. I'm going to use the term the big 5 cuz once we go into centralized television rights, there are 5 and there are everyone else. There's Sporting Benfica, Porto, Vitória Guimarães and Sporting Braga, okay, who have fan bases that um can actually generate revenue for this league. And now we're going to share it with everybody else. And while I get that that's necessary, I think that there needs to be a serious reduction in the number of clubs at the professional level. Clearly, there are not enough well-run clubs in Portuguese football to field two divisions of 18. It, it's clear. And it's not that second division is not even 18. You've got two B teams in there. You remove those two B teams. And, uh, yeah. So clearly, there needs to be a reduction in the size of these divisions. I think this should go at least to 16 in each, and you have 32 teams instead of, you know, instead of 38 teams, 36 teams. So you have 32 instead of 36 teams in these top two levels. But honestly, I really think 12 is probably the accurate amount of teams that are sustainable at the first division. Because these third world policies, and I'm not even talking this time about not allowing Benfica gear in in you know in the stands outside of the stand that's that's marked for the visitors. That's ridiculous. And again, they've never done this before. And now on their return, here they are, here they are, being just like all the others. And honestly, Benfica fans would. They don't understand their own power. If they would organize and boycott away matches for just a couple of weeks, this would all go away. They would stop banning our jerseys in the stadium. You give them the match, you know, in the match where they think they're going to meet all of their financial goals. They're going to jack up the ticket prices, right? They're going to gouge ticket prices. And in these third world facilities, mind you, these facilities that have no business charging 35 euros. They're going to jack up those ticket prices. If just once Befica fans didn't fill that stadium and they were left with nothing. 
And I've said it before, go to the match, support the team outside the stadium, surround the stadium, greet the players when they get off the, bu- off the bus, visit the cafes, visit the bars, visit the stores, you know, provide the money you would have spent at the match that you would have given to the club of Shtrela Amadora and give it to the community in the, in the Amadora uh, neighborhood, you know, in the Hubleira neighborhood, support the businesses there, support Befica from outside the stadium, be loud. You know, everyone's got a cell phone. Watch the match on your phone. Cheer along. Let The players will hear you, okay? And most importantly, your money will not go to these teams who clearly cannot run themselves. I have never been a bigger proponent of boycotting away matches than I am right now. You wouldn't even have to do it very long. You do it to one team and the rest of them would all get rid of these ridiculous policies. They're doing it because they can. Suddenly they're very sensitive and their feelings get hurt when their little stadium that only holds four, five, six thousand people is all dressed in red. Meanwhile, their other 17 home matches, or their other 16 home matches, Let's say instead of 16, let's say 13. Not counting when, you know, when the, or thir- we'll, say thir- we'll say 12. So we'll give the same respect to the big five as I just called them. The other 12 matches, you can't pay people to go into these stadiums. That's a real problem that the league pretends doesn't exist. Pedro Proenza pretends that this doesn't exist. And, uh, well, Mefica played well, but... In the second half, I should say, they played well. Got another goal from Marcos Leonardo, his third. Otamendi scores for the second straight match. And uh, Rafa and Arthur score again as well. Arthur with the bike, bringing in another striker seems to have been just what Arthur needed. No, that's what people think. The truth is Arthur's finally understanding his role. He's figuring out where he fits in this team. And he's putting himself in the position to score these goals. This team is only going to get better. I'm not worried about this team. We've brought in... Let's talk transfers for just a minute. Okay? We've talked to Marcos Leonardo. He's off to a fantastic start. But we've also picked up... Uh, we've picked up Andreas Carreras. Okay? We have picked up uh, Rolhe- Benny Rollheiser. We have picked... Uh, we will be signing Gianluca Presciani tomorrow on the 31st of of January he will sign it is his 18th birthday feliz cumpleaños to to uh Gianluca Prestiani and uh he'll be a Benfica player you know by this time tomorrow by the time you hear this he'll be a Benfica player so I think this team is going to get much better okay they are going to get better okay and um I think we're getting some much-needed relief, too. Some much-needed help in depth. Um, we've got a left back here in Carreras that I think is going to do well. Ba is back. Nerej is back. So things are on the up. And uh, Roger's going to have some headaches in finding playing time for all these guys. But uh, that's what he's paid to do. And um, I do think this Mefica team is, is just going to start to hit its stride now. I think the the peak is still to come. And we will, and I think we're gonna we're gonna go in an all-out slugfest, punch for punch with Sporting. And Porto's not that far behind either, so I'm not counting them out. 
Uh, I know better than to count them out because whenever you you count them out, that's when they prove you wrong. Uh, we're gonna have a, you know, we're gonna have a real all-out uh-huh, boxing contest here, if you will, to the end, jab for jab, hook for hook, until the final uh, match of the season. But I'm confident in this team. And again, this team is only going to get better, and they're going to be better because of the trials and tribulations they've had to withstand this year. This has been a difficult year, and here they are still with it. And again, like I said, if you're a Spartan fan right now, and you're a Spartan player, at some point you start to think, what more do we have to do to get some space? How much better do we have to play to get some space between us and this team? And if you could just continue... Yeah, they need to just continue to get better, keep keep going, keep scoring goals, and um, let the results fall where they may. I like our chances in, in a, you know, I like our chances against anybody. And if we keep it close, I fully believe we'll, we can go into Alvalade and win there and take control of the league when that comes. I don't expect Spartan to drop points anytime soon, though. Uh, I'm not. I'm not getting my hopes up about their upcoming match against Braga, but um, but we'll see. Uh, I think it's going to come down to us versus them later in the season. Okay, so that's where we are right now. The table as it stands: Spartan 49 points. We sit second, 48 points. Porto 44. Braga all the way back to fourth now with 36. They are out of the running. They are 13 points out of first place. And they are 12 points out of second. Champions League football will not be returning to Braga next season. Vitori Guimarães right now in fifth with 36 points. Same number of points as Sporting Braga. Moreirense are sixth with 32. Farense seventh with 24. Famalicão eighth with 22. Also on 22 is 9th place Aroca and 10th place Gil Vicente. Portimonense 1 point back in 11th with 21. Bovista with 20. Casapia 13th with 19. Estrela 14th with 18. Istoril 15th with 17 points. We'll see if their run in the League Cup uh, will give them some momentum going forward. I think they're going to be all right. I think they're going to go up two or three spots before the end of the season. Again, I I think Vasco Siabra is going to do a good job, and he's going to keep them up. Riuav right now sitting in the relegation playoff spot, 16th place, 16 points. Vizela and Shavj are in the bottom. Vizela 17th with 13 points, and Shavj 18th with 12. And, um, yeah, I think I'm going to place a bet pretty soon. Uh, that Shavs will be relegated. I'll place a future for Shavs to be relegated. I don't see them coming back. Uh, I know they're only five points from uh, guaranteed safety and only four points from a playoff spot, but I really can't see it happening for them this season. A few other things. I'm trying to think now uh, what else I wanted to talk about here. Uh, congratulations, of course, to to my girls, to the girl, to the women's team. I'll be back on. I'm thinking Thursday, a couple nights from now, uh, and I will be recapping the, what we've missed from them as well. They have a uh, glorified friendly, if you want to call that. Now they have a big Champions League group stage match against Barcelona on Wednesday on the 31st. Of course, Benfica already made history in women's football, qualifying. For the first time to the quarterfinals. Yes, quarterfinals among the last eight in 
the UEFA Women's Champions League. Congratulations to Benfica's women's team. And now they get to play Barcelona with no pressure and uh, see what they can do here. This will be exciting as they welcome Barcelona to, I believe, the Seychelles uh, tomorrow. So I will be back on Thursday to talk about that. Liga 3 English will return this weekend. The first phase is complete. I know I went dark at, a, at the most interesting part of the season for the Liga 3 but I'll recap it all this weekend. Um, again, we know who the eight teams in the promotion phase are, and we know who the remaining teams in the relegation phase are. I'll run it all down for you this weekend. Um, and, and then we got Benfica versus Gilles on Saturday, I want to say. Double-checking that right now for you. And it is Sunday, excuse me, Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 Pacific here in the United States, which makes it a 6 p.m. Portuguese Standard Time kickoff Sunday, February the 4th at the Stadio de Luz, Benfica versus Gilles Vicente. Okay, that's really all I wanted to accomplish with this episode today to bring everything up to speed. We'll go back to the normal format, starting with uh, with Sunday's matchup uh, with Gilles and from there. We're going to be off to the races. It's going to be, you know, January's in the books. February will be loaded. It's going to be a tough month. And then we're into the spring and we're into the final stretch. So uh, this season is about to start flying by. So hold on to your seats and, you know, get ready for the ride. And hopefully, you know, Befica will continue to on an upswing. And when all is said and done in May, hopefully we are the ones celebrating but there's a lot to play for still portuguese cup uh quarterfinal draw uh quickly for you let me just uh give it to you here the portuguese cup quarterfinals we have on february the 7th union leria hosting sporting and santa clara welcoming porto to ponta delgada while uh, on February 8th, we have Vitória Guimarães hosting Gil Vicente in a Minho derby. And not far from Guimarães, also in Minho, on the same night, Vizela hosting Benfica. So we will travel to Vizela. Tough, uh, tough quarterfinal draw to go away. But if Benfica do what they're supposed to and come out of there, uh, it, is a, it is a pitch where we've always had trouble. But if Benfica come away with the victory... It sets up a pretty uh, exciting semifinal two-legged tie with Sporting. Um, so we could be seeing Sporting potentially. We could potentially, believe it or not, see Sporting five more times this season. We could run into them in the... We're on a collision course in the Portuguese Cup. If we both advance, we'll see each other in the two-legged tie. And, of course, in the Europa League, very much possible that we uh, we could run into them as well if both teams can advance. Plus, we still have a league match with them. So uh, this is going to be an exciting spring. I'm looking forward to it. Happy 2024. And that's going to do it from this episode. Um, yeah, I'll get into more more details as we as I start podcasting again. But uh, there's the programming notes for the week. As I said, uh, we'll talk women's team on Thursday. Uh, Liga 3 probably on Saturday. And then uh, after the match Sunday, perhaps uh, I'll try either after the match Sunday or Monday morning. I will uh, recap the match with Gilles Vicente. But that's going to be it for now. I will be back with more real, real soon for you here on the PTV Media Network. This is the Mr. Mike Agostinho signing off. 
episode 179 in the books, first one of 2029, hopefully the first of many. Don't forget, Tuga Tuesdays on YouTube. Uh, if you missed it, you can always go back and watch it. I will have it posted on my Twitter. That's at Mike Agostinho, at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Carrega Benfica, Força Benfica, we are Benfica. E polurubus unum, and dam u trinta nove. Spending most their lives